Good morning, everybody. A couple things before we look at the scripture that I want to use today. First, um, I guess the last time I was here at church, or at least um, preached, was, well, it was, I guess it was after Christmas, wasn't it? I think. Anyway, it seems like I haven't been here forever, but I haven't had a chance to thank all of you for your generosity um, during this whole holiday season to the pastors, and I want to thank you very much um, for all your kindness to us, and then including, um, I don't know even who made the announcement or how they found out, but the, I think an email or something was sent out um, of our 50th wedding anniversary, and we've got a lot of cards on that, and I want to thank you for that. I want to encourage you, too, don't get married as young as we did, junior high, because <clears throat> I know peop some of you can add, you know what I mean? So you can figure, okay, probably got married such and such, 50 plus that, then it's wondering when he's going to fall over sideways. Um, anyway. Now, I want to preface, that's kind of nice news, horrible announcement I have to make, which has just been relayed to me. The supply chains of the entire world and of our country have descended clear down to Gillette, and they've affected the donuts. Um... Ron Cosmicki is out right now trying to find donuts because Walmart didn't get their donut shipment. And so they called all the churches in town that have a standing order to alert them. So I, I want to tell you now, that's what we're dealing with. I don't want any hostage-taking stuff. We don't want, you know, riots. Um, but at any rate, so maybe... We'll have donuts. We, we do have coffee. So anyway, that's the news <clears throat> of the day. Now, Psalm 55 is what I want to look at today. It's not an extremely long psalm. It's got 23 verses in it. And there's only one verse I want to look at, but you have to read the whole psalm. <clears throat> so if you can find Psalm 55. I'd like for you to follow along with me. <clears throat> this is a Psalm of David. It is similar to a lot of Psalms that David wrote. They always um, seem to have a pattern of difficulty that he finds himself in. Enemies, be, be they foreign or domestic, gathering against him, troubled in his heart, weighed down, heavy-hearted, and he'll, he pours that complaint out to God, then begins to remind himself of God's goodness, his faithfulness, all the times in the past where he didn't think he would, he was going down for the third time, and God bailed him out. And then he ends on a happy note, a positive note, I'm going to keep trusting God, we'll be okay God's got this. So this psalm follows that familiar pattern. 
Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Supplication is strong, intense, um, laser-focused praying. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I am surely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around her upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to the grave, Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for they are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from old. <clears throat> with whom there is no change. That's the people here, says, who do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He's violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. <clears throat> now, David is in anguish, he said, and that anguish has a number of sources. There seems to have been one particular person who was a lifelong friend who deceived him, turned against him. But also, he said, the enemies, greater the number of my enemies. That's not the only problem I have. There's all kinds of things going on. I don't know what to do. My heart is heavy, and I don't know which way to turn. The verse that I want us to look at is 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. In that little verse, there are three points I want to make. Number one, there's a quandary here. What's the quandary? 
The quandary comes from the translation of the word burden. Cast your burden upon the Lord. The word burden here literally is gift. It means, it's saying, cast on the Lord what he has given you. That's the quandary. The trouble I have has been, quote, given or permitted by the very God I'm going to to complain about it. That seems a quandary. It tests our faith. It tests our understanding. It seems that God's against me. God's not helping me. God seems nowhere to be found. And when I seek for what in the world's going on, ultimately, and I be careful, we want to be careful here, but God's the one that oversaw all this, and in some kind of decision, He allowed it. Now, what do we do there? That's a quandary. It's a state of perplexion. It's mental frustration. Is it right for a Christian to feel that? I certainly hope so. A, because all of us do. B, someone as wonderful, as saintly, as St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I am perplexed. I don't know which way to turn. It seems that that was probably in the time when he was trying to know, to discern where to go. He's heading across the top northern edge of what's today Turkey, and he wants to go south to Ephesus, and God says no. Why? That's a central major city. It's the hub of the spokes of, that go out through a whole country. That's a perfect sensible thing to do. Go to the main place. God said no. So Paul says, well, okay, I'll turn north, go up into Macedonia and northern, more north. God says no. He keeps moving west. He ends up at Troas, which is the beach. Where do you go? You ever been to the beach? <laughs> you don't just keep walking. Finally, God talked to him and said, get in a boat and go across. I got something for you to do in Philippi. That was, that was a world history changing moment. It sent the gospel out of Asia, planted it in what is today Europe. And for 2,000 years, the gospel has always had a westward movement. Now, I don't know why God chose to do that, but he did. And Western civilization that is now crumbling is a result of that one decision. Paul said, I don't know what in the world to do, but God did. So the turmoil that Paul said he had, 
in a sense, it could be said, it came from God. Yet it wasn't cruelty, it wasn't unfaithfulness, it wasn't unkindness. But there's a quandary of trying to figure out, Lord, why am I in this mess? Why am I troubled like this? There are two sources, I think, or two, two reasons that can give us, put us in this quandary and put us in turmoil. One, of course, is trouble. Two is a task, a calling, a placing that God has given to us that, I mean this in the right way, we can't get out of. I'll get to that in a minute. I want to look at trouble first. We're in an Humans are weird. <laughs> well, you are. Um, we think... I don't know why we expect it, and I frankly think most of it in, is related to where we live, what country we're in, and so forth. We, especially in America, we grow up because we've grown up in leisure, affluence in general. We are always surprised, disappointed when any kind of trouble comes our way. Because we just assume everything will go right. And when things don't go right, like donuts. Now, we're not going nuts over donuts, but we're, we're saying, well, what in the world? What's the matter with Walmart? We can't, under, we can't seem to deal with, and, and by the way, I'm not pointing my finger at you. In my high school yearbook, one of my friends wrote, and this is not a good thing to, to boast of, to, to the most talented griper on the track team. I've not completely lost that talent. <laughs> um, we, our expectations are totally unrealistic. And we can get, as Christians, they can even get worse because we got this notion there's a lot of preaching a lot of writing a lot of teaching today that God wants you healthy wealthy and wise he wants to spare us all trouble we're to command trouble to go away we're to speak a word of authority and get rid of trouble that's crazy it's as unbiblical as you could possibly get do we follow Jesus? I hope so. What did he say? In this world, you and it's always translated, usually, you will have trouble. He, it's a small difference, he said you have it. In this world, you have trouble. Not you're going to. You got it. And it's going to keep coming. In this world, you have trouble. But be of good cheer I've overcome the world. Here you have this clear Hebrew word. Cast your troubles that he has given you or allowed to come to you back onto him. Now, what kind of trouble am I talking about? I don't want to spend too much time on this. But there are different sources of trouble. 
there are sources, there, there, are, there are troubles that are a direct result of sinful choices that we have made. That is treated differently. That's not a burden or a gift that God gave me. You know, I got eight to ten for holding up a convenience store. I'm in trouble. I'm in anguish. Okay. You should expect it. Even then, if I turn to God, he'll give me grace, but he's not going to cancel and commute my prison sentence. Does that make sense? We, so it's critical that we have some sense of what's the source of this trouble. There are people I know, and I've counseled enough people, one of the biggest things that marriages get in trouble is, over is money and how it's spent. I've had people talk to me. I tell you, the devil's just putting us through a trial. We just got all these debts, and you've got all this credit card stuff, and we've got all this. Well, unless the devil got into your wallet and stole your check or your credit card and swiped it, who kept swiping it? You understand me? Now, I, I'm not talking about reverses and job losses and downturns. But we can create our own trouble. And then we turn around and think God somehow owes us to immediately get us out of it. And it's not a good thing that we have it. We have to be honest. We have to identify where's, where's this source of anguish coming from. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be too hard on any of us. Because God is so immeasurably merciful. He, even, he helps us out of messes of our own making. That's one of the definitions of God's compassion. It is mercy and help toward the sinner in the mess of his own making. But God still gets down into the mud hole and rolls his sleeves up and says, listen... I'll help you get out of this. Don't do it again. So I needed to find the trouble. A lot of trouble comes from sin and our sinful ways. But there are situations, circumstances, trouble that are not the result directly of what I've chosen or what I've done. Wicked people can influence us. Wicked people can completely upset our way. People over whom we have no control. It can even be family members. I can't make them be decent. I can't make them be easy to get along with. They're a trouble to us. They're a burden to us. But God hasn't done anything to remedy it right now. So, I'm in trouble. God could have prevented it, or he could have just miraculously, within moments of discovering I'm in trouble, delivered me, but he didn't do that. Went to school with um, college for a year or two with a woman who... Um, once we got out of school, I lost track of her. 
Um, I kind of knew where she was at, knew who she married, but it was years and years later, um, probably 25 years later. She was working for a missions organization. Um, faithful, she and her husband were godly people, walked with the Lord for years and years and years and years. And she was going to work as, can't remember her position, in the headquarters of this mission organization that was is located uh, back in Indiana. I served on the board of that organization for uh, a number of years. Anyway, she was going to work and one of these divided highways and in semi-rural areas where you've got all these cross traffic and it's dangerous. She's coming down the road, a garbage truck was crossing, the prongs out, didn't see her, plowed into the side of her, immediately severed her left leg driver she was driving. Terrible accident. Right behind her, just how many of her car lengths, was a van with about four or five ER nurses on their way to work, which the hospital was only three or four miles from there. They immediately, of course, saw it, stopped, rendered aid, saved her life. Now, we all talked, man, alive. What a miracle. God had those nurses right behind her. His timing was perfect. They saved her life. The obvious question comes to us, if God can do that, can he give the garbage truck a flat tire so he didn't do that? <laughs> That's the quandary sometimes we find ourselves in. Why? Now, I'm not encouraging or condoning the snarky, bitter why. That isn't what we're talking about here. But there's the quandary of... God gave me this. He permitted this. It isn't that he sat in heaven and thought, now how can I get them in a wreck? No, I'm not talking about it. How can I get them to have this disease? What can I do? He's not doing that. He sees and knows everything that's coming at me. Some, he, inter he interposes his hand and I never know about it. The vast majority... I never even know about it. We won't find out what he spared us till we get to judgment. But there are those things he said, I'm not going to prevent that. I have reasons. I'm going to allow that. And it happens. And then we go, why? And often, I mean, take the greatest example we have of a dear saint of God, Job. Who did, who did all that stuff to Job? The devil. We know it. Because we get in the book, we get to see the backstory. We get to go behind the, the curtain into a backstage pass and we find out what was going on between God and Satan seeking to test Job. But when Job prayed and when he spoke, his heart he never got in trouble. He, was, he didn't get bitter and so forth. But he did say, God even said, he said some rash things. What were, 
some of those rash things. He assumed God did all this to him. Everywhere he said, Lord, you're, you're, you've become my enemy. You're running on me. You're running upon me and crushing me like a warrior does to his enemies. And you've done this to me and your arrows have stuck fast in me. They weren't God's arrows. Job thought God's doing this. No, he permitted it. But that's not the same as forcing it on me. There's the quandary. What's the source of this? When I recognize that I'm in situations that I did not make, for some reason, God either has, he has a purpose for me, or he has in doing something in my own heart, or he wants to accomplish something for his kingdom through me, Job, what has Job, what did Job accomplish? Well, strengthened his own soul. But we're talking about him today. We read about him. We hear all through scripture, he's referred to. James said, we've seen the end of the Lord, even though we're tested and tried. We've seen the end in Job, that God is good and God is faithful. Well, Job did something ultimately for God and for us in addition to what God did for Job in his heart. The quandary then is where we can often find ourselves. Then the second thing is there, there's a question. And the question is, what am I going to do about this? What do I do with this? Do I rail against it? Do I push back against it? Do I allow my soul to get sour and unsettled and bitter with God and lash out at God for why is he allowing this to happen? Or do I in humility and obedience and trust and love say, even when I don't understand what's going on, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, not only do I rightly pray, legitimately pray, if you could make these circumstances go away or mitigate them, man, I'd be grateful. But if you don't, if you don't, I acquiesce to it, I submit to it, I won't buck and kick. Give me the grace to endure it. I don't get the grace to endure it until I acquiesce to go through it. Does that make sense? If I am bucking, kicking, chomping at the bit, chafing, griping, complaining all the time. David complained here, but it doesn't mean at God. He's just in, he's, he's under the circumstances. Man, I wish these would go away. But when we sense 
this is a test. This is a trial. God's allowed it to happen. And by the grace of God, I will submit to it. That question then of what do I do with it gets answered. I have to go that route. The other is loss. It can end up. It can end up in hell. And I know it's, I think it's kind of trite sometimes, but I know what we mean when we say things like that either make us bitter or better. Now, God always has, here's one little thing, maybe it's a, a bit of stepping back. God always has a plan, but often it's a plan of what to do Next, let me explain what I mean by that. There are a lot of times people, well, I've had people, I've had people sit in my office, I've talked to them, who've said, their home's blown up, infidelity or whatever. Well, I know God's got a plan. Well, yes, but wait a minute. His plans never involve evil. He doesn't plan for a spouse to blow up a home and destroy the kids. God doesn't plan for that. God doesn't plan most things that this evil, that's the key, this evil world does. But he has a plan about how to counteract it, how to get me through it, how to sustain me through the middle of it, how to help me with it, how to protect me to whatever degree, how to smooth the path to enough degree that I can be sustained. He's got that kind of a plan. And I'm not splitting hairs here. It's not right. Well, God's got a plan. Yeah, he's got a plan what to do with this stinking mess that was not his plan. So the key thing, th this little phrase is right. God always knows what to do next in spite of. Does that make sense? Yes, he has a plan, but the evil wasn't a part of it. It's how do we respond to it. It's like the misquotation of the verse in Romans. All things work together for good to them. No, that's not what it says. In all things, good and bad, in all things, God is working for good. And then there's a qualifier. For everybody? No. For those who love me and are called according to my purpose. That sets apart the Christian from the world in how to deal with trouble. Which brings us to the third point. There is a quandary. What in the world's going on here? There's a question. What do I do with it? How do I deal with it? Third, there's a quality. Notice he says here, cast what he has given you upon the Lord. Commit it to him. And he will sustain you. 
He'll carry you. He'll give you all the strength that you need. I don't care how heavy the load is. He, he will give me the strength to bear up under it. He promised us that. He has an inexhaustible supply of grace and strength to give to us. So theoretically at least, there's nothing that I can't endure. If he allows it to come to me, he said, I won't even let anything come to you that's too much for you. The very fact that he allows it to come to me is proof that he's already got the plan. I know how I can help you through this. I can give you strength to survive it. You'll get through. But notice he says here, he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. The word shaken or moved has about it the idea of long-lasting, meaning he won't allow things to last so long that we crumble under it. He promises 1 Corinthians where he said, I won't let you be tempted beyond what you can handle, but will with the temptation may a way, make a way to escape so that you can bear it. There is nothing then that I come into that God doesn't have the grace to give me to survive it. So, but there's a quality here. The quality is this promise only applies to the righteous. What is the righteous? Loving, trusting, obedience. Walking with God. Lack of that, I step out from underneath that umbrella of that promise. If I don't trust him, if I stop loving him, if I will not obey him, I don't have this promise. I won't allow you to be shaken clear to the foundations of your soul. That promise doesn't apply to me. You know, in a bigger issue, there are a lot of times in the ministry when I, I don't know how to minister to people. I take, I, I find myself, I've done more funerals in my life for unbelievers or people that as far as we could tell by their outward life up till their death they had no interest in God and didn't follow him and I'll often deal with a family who knows nothing about God I don't know what to tell them I do, I, I do my dead level best I have I ask God to help me and yes you have human sympathy for what they're going through but they're all the promises of God I can't give them because they don't apply God's promises are for in this case the righteous those who love him he said I'm working in all things for those who love me and are called and are obeying me so we have to face the harsh fact that he will not allow us to be moved applies to the righteous and only to the righteous. Unfortunately, those who choose to go the other way suffer the consequences. Yet in those, God allows even the consequences to bring us back to him, to turn to him. To start thinking, man alive, maybe I better listen to God. Maybe what I heard in Sunday school 
or vacation Bible school 30 years ago was the truth. Maybe I need to get back to God. God knows how to use trouble and difficulty, even redemptively. Now, one last thing. This also applies. All of this applies. Not only to trouble, but I mentioned initially to tasks. Every one of us are called. Every Christian has a place that God wants to post us. Richard Taylor, writer I've quoted often, um, he said God both employs his people and he deploys them. He has a place to station them. And sometimes he doesn't consult us. Where he puts us to serve him and to fulfill his purpose is up to him. I remember five million stories sitting around as a little kid listening to my dad and other men his age. Everybody, when I was a little kid, was a fairly recent World War II veteran. And there was lots of talk. You'd hear, I'd sit around and listen to all that. And I can remember, you know, my... <laughs> my dad saying that when he got the summons he was drafted or whatever the story was he said they didn't ask him now what kind of climate do you like do you prefer the European maybe southern European where it's a little warmer or if you don't like humidity we won't send you to the Pacific he said we need you here the stamp you're going he went to Okinawa he didn't go get travel brochures. I want a vacation. They said, you're going to Okinawa. That's it. Now, God's not cruel and unfeeling. But in the same way, he deploys every single one of us. I want you here. You have the gifts that I gave you. This is a place I need you. I want you. Yeah, I know your crew is a dark crew to deal with. I know there's wickedness and evil and filthy talk. I want you there. I want you to shine right there. Now, wherever it is and whatever it is, we will get to the place where we think, just like David, and I admit this even in the ministry, okay? David said, oh, I wish I was a bird that I could fly away. Anybody ever felt like that? I just wish I could get a one-way ticket to wherever. I got to get out of this. But there's that little kind of an anchor that you sense, God won't let me. He wants me here. He's got a plan for me here. He's got a purpose for me here. I don't even know what it is sometimes. I think I'm useless. But he seems to have me here. This verse applies. Cast what he has given you. I don't care what Paul, Paul, in a sense, got so weary of the ministry. He said, Lord, I'd rather just go to heaven. I'd like to get out of here. But he finishes the verse by saying, but it's better. In other words, and he said, for you, 
that I stay here. So, he said, basically, I will draw from God's reservoir of strength. I will hitch up my bootstraps and I will tighten my belt and I'll, I'm going to keep going. That's this verse too. I'll cast the weariness that I may have onto you, Lord. You called me. Wherever you called me, you will give me the strength and grace to perform it. So I won't spend all my time looking over travel brochures or searching online, what's the best state to retire in? I'm here. This is what God wants me to do. And if I end up dying in my boots here, that's fine. Now, the quality here, I just have to conclude with this. You can't do that. We can't have that kind of attitude. We will never achieve that kind of victory unless at some point prior we have died to our agenda, our will, our ambitions, our choices, our opinions, our wants, and have said, Lord, I am yours. You own me. You have the right to do with me whatever you wish. Thy will be done. Whatever it is, just let me know enough that I know what it, what it is, and I'll trust you for the grace to keep doing it until you tell me different. This little verse can't be put into practice without that kind of a heart. So there's where we need to be sure we are. Then when we face these quandaries and these questions, we have the quality we need to be sustained and to not be shaken. Let's bow our heads. Dan, dismiss us with prayer, if you would, please. Father in heaven, as we hear the words that were penned so long ago, yet are so relevant today, I'm reminded of a song. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. To be on that solid rock is a choice. And I pray that we are a congregation that makes the choice to stand on that solid rock so no matter what quandary may come our way, no matter what questions we have, we always have the quality to be known for a person who's standing on the rock that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that by your grace, when all is sinking around us, we have that stability, we have that peace, we have your grace and we have your mercy. Help us to do that today and going forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Love you guys, you're dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.